What I love about these morning talks is that Nigel has spent the time to prepare these morning talks and is downloading what he's received from God in this time. And so, Father God, I just pray for Nigel in this time. Bless him. Let this time be a blessing for him as he speaks the words that you have given him over this week as he's been preparing. Let us have the ears to hear and the hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, Pete. Thanks, folks. Good to see you. I'm just going to grab my water. Um, Before I start the talk, I just want to underline that notice about the prayer, um, the prayer week this week. We are significantly stepping up our rhythm of prayer. We felt increasingly that God has been inviting us to do that over the last few months. And um, we're going to do this, just put that slide up, that one that's there with the 6.30, 12.30 thing. Just put that back up again, can you? Um, that one, yeah. We're going to do this. We, we sort of tried this as a rhythm for a day of prayer because um, we, we want to do something over a day that's, that can in, hopefully engage as many people as possible. And we tried this back at Easter and it seemed to work. We're going to actually do this once a month on the third, on the third Monday, but we're also this week going to do it three times this week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as a sort of particular Um, focus just to get into as we get into this new term to start asking God um, what uh, what he wants to do and just listening to him and and spending time so if you can make one of those two meetings on zoom or the one in the evening or or more of them join us we'd love you to get involved either this either tomorrow that's tomorrow morning at 6 30 or Wednesday or Friday Um, and just one other thing I want to talk about thanks you can put that up Um, this isn't in my talk but um, you'll know, you might have noticed if you're sharp-eyed that Jo isn't in the service this morning. She wasn't last week. That's because she's up in one of the kids' groups um, helping out. Now, the reason for that is we're pretty short on team right now. Now, I was a children's pastor for 12 years, and my old boss told me one thing that you will never do is stand up at the front of the church and say, we are desperate for people to come and fill the spaces on our rotor. Okay? We don't do that. Um, because it's not about filling spaces or filling gaps. It's about vision. It's about investing in young people. And two weeks ago, we had a dedication service here, and I talked about this whole subject, the importance of investing in our kids and youth, and how everybody in the church community shares the responsibility, biblically, to invest in the young people one way or another. And so just currently, for some really good reasons, some of our fantastic team have had to step back. Some of it's illness, some of it's family stuff, some of it's work things going on um, and so we currently have about seven or eight spaces across the month um, with this is an, across all the teams from 18 down to zero and we already have an amazing team of dedicated and enthusiastic leaders and some of you are here and most of our parents are, are already serving in one way or another and what we don't want is for our current team to get burned out having to stretch and cover the gaps that's that's the reality of what could happen and so This is an area that's growing, it's exciting. There's an invitation to get involved, there's momentum. We're even trying to start um, a a new group for the oldest oldest ones, the 17, 18 year olds. We seem to have a plethora of them, which is wonderful. Um, So it takes about two to two and a half hours a month. And I just want to once more say to you prayerfully, please prayerfully consider if the Lord is asking you to step in and serve in this season. And if it's really not you, then please pray very hard that the Lord provides the people, the right people, okay, to come and do it. Um, 
And if you, two weeks ago you heard me say this and you've been meaning to come and chat to one of us and say, yep, I'm keen or I'll do it, I'll step up, but you haven't quite had that chat yet, this morning over the barbecue or after church is a really good time, you can come and chat to me or you can come and chat to Joe or to Joy um, who are both in groups this morning. Is that okay? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing that? Do you hear that in the spirit in which it's intended? You think you do. No, 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 I'm just teasing. <laughs> That's really fine. Um, we, I would just love us to just really ask the Lord how he wants to fill these, um, f- fill these spaces, invest in these young people, and keep, keep developing a healthy team. So, um, can you... Oh, that one. Thank you. Can... Uh, last, this is a, a series that we're running, three-week series. This is week two, and Paul is going to share next week. And the series is called Multiply Life Groups. Now, Multiply has been our theme right across the year. Um, and we are looking this term, this month, at life groups. Uh, life groups, as Pete's already said, are the small groups in the church. Um, and throughout this series, what we're trying to do is just do something we haven't done for quite a few years, which is just explore what the Bible says, dig into what small groups are all about, and also try and sort of, I think for us, one of the main aims of this series is to try and slightly rebalance our focus, because it's very easy to get focused on the large environment, the large gathering, which is kind of what we do. It's our public face. Um, there's momentum. It's fun to see people. Um, but the, as I said last week, the New Testament met in churches which were much smaller than this and actually met in homes. Most churches started as small groups. And um, again, last week we covered off just the importance of multiplication in the Bible, which only really happens through small group structures. That's how the easiest, simplest way that multiplication happens. Now, if you were here last week, you'll know that we had a little slogan, which is that I say, we do not go to church, and you repeat back to me, we are the church, that's it. This church is not something that we attend on Sunday, okay? Church is something that we are. And uh, if you missed last week, you can see that talk on the website. And today's talk is called, One of the Only Things We Can't Speed Up Are Relationships. One of the, I haven't got a call and response for that, I'm sorry. I suppose we could, no, we couldn't, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> One of the only things we can't speed up our relationships. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, um, wrote a paper and was a massive fan of small groups. In fact, he wrote a paper called The Four Functions of Small Groups, why I think small groups are so important. And he cited four different things, all of which are part of church life, all of which can go on really effectively in small groups. He talked about evangelism. He talked about integration meaning people, as people join the church. He talks about discipleship as we grow up and follow Jesus. And he also talks about maturity. I'm going to revisit each of those as I go through the talk this morning. So, you know, just store those away in your head and think, oh yeah, maybe shout house when I've mentioned all four of them or something, or bingo. Um, but, um, and then last week, we talked about how our culture of life groups here Um, And the structure of this series is around these three words, lead, develop, care. Um, I touched on life group leadership last week, which is mostly about character and role modeling and much less about skills. We talked about how leaders are role models and they are facilitators of an environment where everybody grows together and cares for one another. That's the point. Life group leaders are not expected to be pastors or wise teachers 
or um, you, you know, the people who everybody in the group would look to. It's meant to be, uh, they're meant to be people who facilitate growth and care. And one of the challenges for us as small groups and small group leaders is how we, how we balance that development against care. Because if we're honest, sometimes we find our groups can just turn a little bit insular if we're not really specific about development in small groups. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. How do life groups help people develop? Um, here's a verse from John 13. It's a very well-known passage. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, a new commandment I give you. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you count up that phrase in the New Testament, across the Gospels and across the letters, the command or the invitation to love one another comes 15 times in the New Testament. 15 times it says, I want you to love one another. You must love one another. Jesus points out that this is the way by which other people will know that, that there's something different about disciples. He says, if you love one another, then other people will know that you're following me. And actually, the love one another is only the start because the phrase one another appears in 59 different statements in the New Testament. Okay, I don't have them all here. I have a selection. Okay, I have two slides. So that's half of the ones I've got. The New Testament says, be at peace with one another. Accept one another. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. And there's more. Teach and admonish one another. Build each other up. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And again, that's just a summary. There are 59 verses in the New Testament where this phrase, one another or each other, is, um, is brought in. A very wise and um, very well-known church leader called Andy Stanley in the States summed all this up with this phrase. The primary activity of the New Testament church was to one another, one another. It was one anothering, one another. This is the way of life that Jesus taught. And the apostles following him taught, and Paul taught through his letters and other apostles as well. This, this, this list, these lists, this is the practical way in which we actually do live the way that Jesus taught us and encouraged us. This is what makes a difference to the world around us. When Jesus says, if you love one another, people will know that you're my disciples. And as John Wimber said, one of the, fir the first thing he said is that small groups are wonderful places for evangelism to happen. A healthy small group where the people in it are, em are embracing this teaching and this way of life will offset the bias that we have in our culture to individualism. Because you have to admit, it's really deep in our culture, isn't it? 
You can do what you want. You can be who you want. You can be the product of your consumer choices. Nobody else really matters. As long as you don't hurt anyone, you can just do your thing. And yet, here's the New Testament saying it's not like that at all. This is all about one another. A loving community is a powerful tool and a witness to the world. And small groups help people learn how to love one another in a way that looks like Jesus and his disciples, looks like the New Testament and makes an impact to the world. We call it becoming like Jesus. We might call it becoming disciples or following Jesus. And so if, ever, if this is important to us, which I think it is, a question that we, would, we should ask ourselves is how are we going to make sure that's actually happening? How are we going to plan for that? And how are we going to program for that? And here's another genius quote from Andy Stanley. When everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. It's pretty hard. I mean, we've already prayed for one another this morning. And in order to do that, we had to get up out of our row and go and lay hands on somebody else. In other words, real relationships happen in a small group. And they happen when we choose to buy in. And people who don't engage in real relationships can get isolated, but can also be pretty hard to get along with sometimes. Jesus teaches us to be in community with others, especially those who are not like us. Some, some of us are in groups with people who, if we weren't following Jesus together, we probably wouldn't, in any other part of society, spend time with those people. Let's just be honest about that. That's okay. And yet, Jesus says this is how we grow, by spending time with those people. This is how we grow emotionally and spiritually. This is how we get to be more like Jesus. If you want to put it in plain language, this is how we become nicer people, I think. You become nicer people by hanging out with people who aren't like you and learning to love and care and like them. So, for example, one of those commands was bear one another's burdens. Being in a small group in real relationships can help us to help one another carry the load, be that an emotional load or a spiritual load or a physical load. When we're going through a tough season at work or within ill health or a family crisis or a loss, others in a small group can be a place of support, can be somewhere to share. A group can get around people and encourage them and pray for them and help them. I've heard tons of stories of about, about this. How many of us have been in a situation in our lives where we've had a really tricky time for whatever reason and the people in a small group around us have just kind of got around to support, be it spiritually or emotionally or practically? How many of us have experienced something like that in our lives? That's quite a lot. Okay, brilliant. Hands down. Thank you. This is really important. I've heard amazing stories of meal trains and um, people decorating people's stuff and giving people lifts and, you know, just, I've heard incredible stories from different small groups in this church. So bear one another's burdens, that's how it works practically. A small group is a great place to pray for one another. It's really hard to pray for someone if you don't actually know what's going on with them. But if you're tracking regularly and you're sharing what's going on with you with some people appropriately and safely, then it's a great place to find support and prayer. It's, when you've got something really hard happening, it's brilliant to know that there's a group of people who's supporting you, even if it's just on a, a little WhatsApp group or something. You know, I'm really struggling. We're praying for you. Please pray for me. You know, it's a really, really great way of doing that. 
And another one it says is teach and admonish or encourage or spur one another on to love and good deeds. And most teaching happens as we hang out with one another. Most of it happens informally. Most of it happens through modeling, how we live, how other people live. We, we observe other people's motivation. We observe their attitude and the choices they've made in their lives. And often that provokes us to think and to pray. New people in a group will usually adopt the behavior or the lifestyle or the patterns of the group, be they good or bad. If yours is the kind of group that's really kind of, you know, quite quite strict about end times and going to bed and stuff, then the people who join the group will, will, will get into that and they'll all leave at 9.30 or whenever it is that you, you know. If yours is the group where people just love to stay and hang out and drink tea and, you know, stay up late, then people will join and they will potentially do that. That's, that's kind of what happens. If yours is the kind of group where people share and where they open up and just talk a little bit about what's really going on, then other people will copy with that. If, you're the kind of, if yours is the kind of group where people don't really say what's going on, they just kind of pretend or they kind of worship together and talk about the weather, you know, but not really, really share, then again, new people are going to copy that. But teaching happens as people share their life circumstances and their challenges and seek support from others. And lastly, one other, one other example, one of those commands says, be at peace, forgive one another, live in harmony with one another. And if there are people who, for whatever reason, we feel like we're not in the best place with, maybe there's a conflict or maybe we're just avoiding them for whatever reason, it's pretty easy to avoid someone when we're all sat in rows and they're the other side of a large room on Sunday. But it's hard to avoid somebody when you're sitting in your living room with them or somebody's living room with them and you're having coffee for a couple of hours each week. The truth is there's not that much to forgive unless we actually get close to others. When we do life together, it inevitably leads to misunderstandings, miscommunications, you know. When was the last time you got annoyed with somebody from church or life group? You don't have to answer that question. Just think about it, okay? And as John Wimber said, all of this demonstrates how life groups are great places for discipleship. Great places to learn how to follow Jesus together. I have three observations about this process. The first one is that growth takes time. Most growth happens slowly. You can see out there that all those trees have grown leaves. But did anybody actually see them growing physically? No, because it happens very slowly. All of us, all of us have been through a major growth and development journey in the first 20 years of our life. Obviously, it was physical. We grew physically, but we also grew emotionally, socially, psychologically, intellectually, spiritually. Think about the difference between somebody age 10 and somebody age 20. And then think for yourself even how that worked, worked out for you. It happened in the context of relationships, be they family relationships, school relationships, church, community, extended family. Relationships do not go fast and they often seem very mundane. In jo Joe and I used to talk about this as a meat and potatoes time. You know, you can't have steak every day if you like steak. Sorry to the vegetarians. Um, you know, it's very nice to have lovely, juicy, really nice steak every day, but some days you just have to eat meat and potatoes because you still have to eat, and it's a bit mundane. But actually, that's where relationships happen. It's a cliche for us to say, oh, children, they grow so fast. I don't know about you, but my children grew very slowly. 
They were with us almost every day for the first two, my oldest two who are not here anymore, for the first 18 years of their life. And we, went some, we had some fun and interesting and memorable times together, but we also had a lot of time which was not that much fun, not that interesting, perhaps a little bit banal, even boring maybe. They're just the grind of living together day after day. Get up, have breakfast, go to school, go to work, come back, chat, whatever, hang out. It's as we do that stuff day by day, week by week, in a family context, we grow. Just being together, just talking, just living, just doing this stuff, arguing, sorting out problems, making mistakes, resolving conflicts, forgiving each other. The difference, on a day-to-day basis, the difference is very hard to spot. And yet, over a year, you can see significant difference, and over 10 years, it's unfeasible how different it is. One of the only things that we can't speed up is, thank you, good memory. One of the only things we can't speed up is relationships. Relationships that mean something take time. It just takes time. They also take energy and they also take commitment. For relationships to grow, we need to show up. We actually need to be physically present. If parents, want to be the primary influences or voices in their kids' lives, then the parents have to be there physically. We have to be in the room meaningfully and practically. We have to be connecting with our kids every day. For us, that meant making some career decisions when the kids were young, with that in mind, to make sure that we were physically there. When we became pastors, which can be a busy job, we tried to make sure that we organise our lives in order that at least one of us could be present as they were growing up, if not both of them, as much as possible, evenings, weekends, school holidays. Now, a life group isn't the same as a family, but the principle is the same. Relationships grow when people show up. And the week-by-week commitment that sometimes feels a bit ordinary makes a massive difference over the long haul. You know, maybe we've been at a small group and not much drama is happening and we sometimes kind of think, you know, that was a fairly average night in small group, you know. And yet, is it, is it really worth it? I do, I do wonder sometimes if in our culture we've become dopamine, adrenaline, drama junkies. It's so easy to go, oh, I'm a bit bored, I'll just go on my phone. What's, what's going on there? Okay. Um, in church culture, we can sometimes find ourselves seeking the dramatic encounters with God, hoping for a big transformation moment. And yeah, when they happen, they're amazing. But the reality is, the reality is that most transformation happens in small increments over the long term. And it happens when we show up and when we commit and when we say, I'm with these people, I'm going to be there most weeks, I'm going to get to know them, I'm going to pray for them. That's when God seems to do amazing things, even if it's just for a season. You know, we do our life groups in term, term by term. And if you were thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I really want to get involved, my encouragement would be just join for a season, join for a term, and see what God does when you literally show up every week or every week that you can. I've seen so many people transformed in this place, in and around the church, and it's because they keep showing up and God does things in the relationships. Um, it's not a life group, but I have a thing that I do every Tuesday morning with the ministers um, of all the other churches in Winchester. And we just meet and pray for half an hour. 
And um, to be honest, it was a job that I was given to coordinate um, before COVID happened. And we used to meet in person once a month and we'd get together and we'd share and we'd pray and have, I introduced going out for coffee or having breakfast together or something. And, um, but, but, but it was month on month. And we were, honestly, my, I was finding, well, this is a nice thing and people seem to be coming, but if they miss a month, you don't see them for two months, you know? And it just, I didn't feel like it was really gelling and I was wondering what to do about that. And then COVID happened. And so COVID happened and I said to them, well, shall we just meet on Zoom to pray? And everybody was really busy because they're ministers and they're trying to take all the churches online and, you know, quickly adapt to what was going on. But we just set up this Zoom call where we met for half an hour on a Tuesday morning between 8.30 and 9. And at the end of the week, the one I, I said, well, this, just seemed, this seems like a really good thing to do. Do we want to do this next week? Yeah, we'd love to. And since 2020, March 2020, we've been meeting, uh, not in the holidays, but in term time, we meet every, every Tuesday morning on Zoom. Now, we meet every Tuesday morning on Zoom for half an hour, and once a month we meet in, in real real life person and we share a bit more and we have coffee and it's a very simple very profound meeting I say you have about two minutes to share how you are uh, what are you giving thanks for and is there anything we can pray for and we just go around and we talk and we share and then we spend the last few minutes praying for one another and it's as simple as that and yet the relationships that have grown over the last two or three years for me are game-changingly different it's nothing like it was. The, the ministers in Winchester really love each other. They're in really good heart and they're really good. And, and it means that if somebody's having a bad time, we can get around and support them. One of the other local ministers came to visit me twice when I was off recovering from my operation. I joked with him because he's an Anglican. I said, oh, you're doing your pastoral visit to me. You're out of your parish. You're, in, you're the wrong guy, actually, but it doesn't matter. Um, he came to see me and take me out for a walk and stuff like that. So <laughs> that sounds wrong, doesn't it? You know what I mean. Um, <clears throat> Growth takes time, growth takes commitment, and lastly, growth takes courage. My friend has a phrase, and it's this, wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be there. We all know what it's like to be in the room with somebody, and they're not really in the room. I mean, they are physically. I don't mean like in a spooky ghost way. I mean, I mean they're there physically, but emotionally or in their heads, they're somewhere else. And that's even easier now. We all have phones that are connected to the World Wide Web all the time. It's so easy. I bet some of you are sitting scrolling now, aren't you? No, I'm just teasing. I, I wouldn't judge you for that. Um, we all know people who are like that. And um, it's so important not just to show up, but to actually be there, actually engage. That means entering into conversations. It means asking open questions. It means drawing people out and being interested and listening fully. And that... To do that and to get on with people takes empathy, okay? You know, you will know people who will ask you a question and then as soon as you've given an answer, they will jump in with a story of their own. Oh, that reminds me of this, okay? And that's not empathy. I mean, it might be interesting, but it's not empathy, you know? Instead of doing that, it's sort of like, well, oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me a bit more about that. Oh, how did that make you feel? It means we're trying to hear someone's heart. It means we're listening not just to what they're saying, but to what they actually might be not wanting to say or feeling heart, feeling like they're not sure how to say it. 
It, it means that we show that, and it means sharing something of ourselves as well, our own mistakes, our own vulnerabilities, being real. Relationships that are worth anything will cost us something. It takes courage, but the rewards are amazing. When we're willing to jump in bravely, the culture in a group grows, people become more healthy, and we develop as disciples of Jesus. That's how it works. Sometimes we fear sharing or engaging because we don't know how what we say will go down. We feel like we might be judged for it. We might have done that in the past and people didn't handle it very well or it's a bit awkward or our openness hasn't been reciprocated. And if that's you, I'm really sorry. And if you've been hurt and if you're still hurt about that, we'd love to pray for you. But I would still encourage you to invest and to have courage and to buy in. If you think about the most rewarding relationships that you've been in, the most fantastic or supportive small groups that you've been in, and then think about why that was and think about how engaged you were. And one other thing is that life groups are an amazing place to learn to do the stuff. What do I mean by do the stuff? I mean do the stuff in the book. The stuff that Jesus did, the stuff that he invites us to do, the stuff that the Bible says, if we believe in the kingdom of God, we will step out and do things. We will listen to the voice of God. We will pray for people who are sick to get healed. We will do our best to engage in and step out in the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to do a whole bunch of this teaching next month. It's a big topic and I'm not getting right into it now. But hearing the voice of God and sharing it and doing the stuff Jesus did, and that can be a bit scary. Life groups are an amazing place to practice that. You can make mistakes and people still love you and they won't get stressed if you get it wrong. And that's why small groups are so important. And I'd love to invite you to join one. I'd love to invite you to be courageous. If you're not already in a life group, to give it a go this term. There are life groups now on the website. You can sign up via our website and via church suite. Okay? And I'd love to encourage you, just commit for this term. But really commit. Don't just sign on and then show up about every three weeks. Okay, don't do that. If you're going to do that, just don't bother signing on, right? But if you feel like, yeah, okay, I could grow in this. If you want to say this term is going to be a term when we grow together, then join a life group. Now, Ryan has a story. He came up to me after last week's talk, and I said he was telling me some encouraging things about what happened in his life since he joined a life group. And I said, that's so good. Can you come and share that with everybody? This is, seems very scary for me. It's the first time I've ever been up here. <sighs> very emotional, sorry. Um, I just had a couple of things I just uh, wanted to share. Um, I said to Nigel last week, I just came up and I said, thank you so much for sharing. Um, many, many years ago, Nigel just came up to me and said, how are you doing? And are you going to a life group? And I said, no. He said, you know, I just encourage you just to go to a life group. And it was very, very scary for me. And this year, the beginning of the year, I came to, uh, I decided to go to Alpha with Rachel. Um, after Alpha A, we were carried on to Alpha B. And while we were in Alpha B, we were, <clears throat> um, just before the end of the term, we were praying and we had words of knowledge. And one of the words which was shared with me um, from Tricia, she just prayed and just said, well, you know, she just felt that there was like a word of encouragement and just something stirring inside of me. 
um, and just being able to just share what God is actually doing and just pouring out more of what God's happening. And since then, I would never have been able to come out to the front and be able to pray for others and be in a life group, say, 10 years ago. But just since then, like even this morning, it was, which was very unexpected, and I just felt God just say that there's, even this morning, there was pain, especially because of um, past experiences in any kind of church setting, loss, lack of misunderstanding, being uncomfortable, fear of stepping into something new, and we, and we just all got our stories. So I just wanted to encourage you and just say that the way that Nigel just he blessed me, and that's what I love about this church is that you never judged or felt, you know, like you have to be in this kind of, you've got to be this, and you've got to do prayer. And even these prayer meetings, it's just, it's a relationship. And that's what really blessed me about this church is that Nigel, Joe, and the whole team and the whole family here is just, they just come up and they care about you. And that's what I just wanted to share is that it's really a place of caring. So I want to be in a life group just because of the love and the care and not feeling that I have to. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for stepping up, Ryan, and, uh, and sharing that. Um, just by way of finishing, I'm almost done, I promise. Um, I read the, we read this passage last week. This is from Acts 2.42, and it's a beautiful description of the early church after Pentecost and how church life worked and what it looked like. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, to, uh, sorry, and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the, all the people. And this key sentence at the very end, I think that's really key. When God's people did the things that they were encouraged and called to do by Jesus and by the apostles, the loving one another, it says when they did all that, practically working that out, practically sharing fellowship, sharing food, praying for one another, looking after one another, sharing possessions, when they did all that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The multiplication and the church building isn't ours to do, that's what God does, he builds the church. Multiplication of life, life groups are one of the best places for churches to multiply. It's what happened in the, um, in the New Testament. You know, it was 300 years after the birth of Jesus before Christians met in a church building like this. And in that time, the church grew and grew and grew and spread like wildfire. And it happened through small groups. There's only one other time in history where the church has seen that same prolific growth. Does anyone know when that was or where it was? In China, the Chinese church after the revolution in the late 60s. And again, the, the, what the church did have, the big buildings and the leaders, all of that went and it was back to small groups. And in that time, the, the church grew. Why does it grow like that? Because contained in a small group is the DNA, if it's done right, for everything to reproduce. Every believer is a church planter and every church is a church planting church. That's what the Chinese church motto was. 
Every small group has the potential to multiply in the same way that every seed carries the DNA potential for a tree or even a forest. And so when we're in small groups and we're cultivating this kingdom relationship and we're learning and growing as disciples, God has the ability to multiply us. It's how leadership multiplies. Life groups are a safe place. We haven't even talked about that. We'll come to that in the next couple of months as well. Life group is a brilliant place to learn to lead. I learned to lead, I pretty much learned everything I know about leadership from a small group and then from leading some kids' groups. I remember being in a small group, which was not my group, it was somebody else's. I was the worship leader. And then the guy who was leading the group turned around to me and said, right, I need to go start another one, so you need to take this group over. Is that okay? I said, uh, yeah, I think so. You know, and he prayed for me and he encouraged me and he gave me some resources and we cracked on, and, I was, and then I did the same thing. I grew groups, and I saw new people step out, and um, new people lead. That's how, it, that's how it works. Now, that might be challenging. You might be thinking, oh, I really like the idea of a life group because it's just safe, and it's a, a lovely place to be, and care is really important, and Paul's going to look at that next week. But let's not forget the development part. Very, very last thing I say. I heard this once. It stuck with me for a long time. It's a little saying, healthy things grow. Growing things change. Changing things challenge us. And some of us are really challenged by change. And that's okay, because it's healthy. Challenging things force us to trust God. Trust leads to obedience. Obedience makes us healthy. And you guessed it, healthy things grow. There's a whole cycle here that could be embodied and is embodied in small groups if we do them right. So look, I'm done, but if you haven't yet got the message, if you want to join a life group, if you think that God is encouraging you to do that, if you've just come to the church recently and you're thinking, how do I really grow in this place? How do I really get stuck in? It's all very well coming to the Sunday meetings, but I need to go further. I need to go deeper with God and deeper with these people. Then, then I would issue the same invitation I issued to Ryan. I don't even remember saying that to you, Ryan, but obviously I did at some point. You know, Not, you should go to life group or else, but hey, why don't you consider joining a life group? And doing life and doing community with people, either for the first time or for the first time in ages. Maybe you're somebody who's done that and either for whatever reason, life's just got really busy, other priorities, um, or you're just slightly afraid of getting into some sort of commitment like that. Again, why don't you just consider? And lastly, some of you, some of us, God has called us to lead and I just think there might be one or two people in here who God has invited or call, is calling to step up and lead in a life group scenario. Maybe not on your own at this point. Again, if that's you, we'd love to chat. Why don't we stand together? I'd love us to pray. The Holy Spirit is already here. He's already been moving and working and doing his stuff. But we're just going to welcome him back and we're just going to take a couple of moments and just pause and listen again and see if there's anything else he wants to say or do. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Your presence is so, we're so thankful for your presence. We're so grateful that you would meet with us.